Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Gather in your conversations. Feel free to continue those after. Go take somebody out for coffee or for lunch and uh, continue the conversations after. As I mentioned before, we're uh, currently in the middle of our series called Presence and uh, uh, I think it's appropriate after what we've just been praying uh, into uh, that today it's uh, bringing the presence of God uh, into our workplace. It's a real joy to have uh, Kevin Zhang uh, coming to preach for us this morning. Uh, Yeah. Kevin and Vivian and their little boy Alistair have been part of the church since we uh, planted uh, at the end of last year. And uh, they've been a huge blessing uh, to us. And uh, Kevin uh, is a lawyer uh, at Phoenix Law in the city. And uh, I'm sure you might share a little bit more about that uh, in a moment. And, but has also studied theology at Malian. And uh, so it's a great fit as we look, about, look at how we take the presence of God into our workplace to have somebody who actually does work uh, rather than me. Uh, so that's, that's, I work very hard. Uh, so why don't you give Kevin a huge hand as he comes to preach this morning. Uh, thanks, Sirks, for the introduction. Um, it, it's a great privilege to be up here this morning and to, to you know, share the message, share uh, what it is about work and what it is about us as Christians at work um, with everybody. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really exciting. I might not look it because, you know, I'm a lawyer and by trade, uh, when we see the best offer on the table and the negotiation, we still look like this. And then will nod and shake their hands and go, it's settled. And then we go back and we party. So, you know, it's true. I'm actually really excited. Um, it's just professional training, a professional poker face i got to hold. Uh, but it's great to be here. Um, I think the easiest way for us to gauge whether or not we're on point with taking the presence of God to work is to ask this simple question. Who's excited about Monday? Some of us, right? So maybe this message won't need to apply for those of us who's actually happy to go to work on Monday. But you know what? I'm one of those who would uh, start freaking out about Monday on Saturday. And uh, even on Saturday night, I'll start dreaming about all of the things that could go wrong at work on Sunday. I don't know if some of you um, feel like that. Um, I work as a lawyer, as as Andrew mentioned, and uh, a lot of our work involves meetings. Who loves a good work meeting? (laughs) You know, you, you, you go into this room and usually it's stuffy, you know, it's, there's no air and you're there with 20 other people, uh, there's no window looking out, and they call it a boardroom, but I think the more apt term for it, it's called a torture chamber, right? And, and you would sit there for two hours and you would start to go comatose, you know, and the, the 18 of you are there, sort of, you're, you're swinging your head left and right, back and forth in sync. But there's just these two other people that seem so engrossed in the most tiniest issue, like, you know, which type of toilet paper do we use or which type of hand dryer we need to install. And all of you just going and you're staring at the pen you're holding and going, I wonder how quick I'll die if I shove this down my throat. <laughs> Does this feel like work to you? I mean, I don't feel the presence of God when I am in that meeting. Or, you know, 
if you work in law, you also get this happen quite often. You know, you're, you're doing really well. Uh, it's 4.30 in the afternoon. You feel like you've checked all of those task lists off. You're, you look at your computer and your Outlook inbox is clear. You know, your desk is spick and spam and you're ready to hit the door at 5 o'clock. You're ready to hit the gym at 5.05. You're going to get yourself dinner early and then you're going to hit some Netflix or, or watch a movie or something like that. And then at 4.35, someone knocks on your door, usually your boss, and goes, I need this done by close of business. And you stare at him and, or, or her and they stare back at you and you somehow figure that close of business doesn't mean close of business. Like close of business doesn't even mean 5.30 or 6 o'clock. It probably means like 4 a.m. tomorrow morning if you have to stay there and get it done. Or, you know, it might be a colleague of yours who you are managing you know, and, and you're doing really well. You're empowering them. You've sent them, you know, the instructions to do the task. But they just dawdle and dawdle and dawdle. And, and you know, you've sent these little emails going, hey, how are you going? Just checking in. And they don't respond. And then the, the day before it's due or the, night, the, the afternoon before, you know, you get this draft and you click it. And then you start getting these cold sweats because you know you just have to redo that document or that work all over again and there goes your plans of hitting the door at five o'clock again. You know, at those moments, I don't think we feel the presence of God through us, you know. We probably feel the wrath of God for the other person that we're about to confront the next day, but certainly not the presence of God. You know, maybe you're walking home you know, or maybe you take the bus or the train or whatever, and that's the way you commute. And maybe it's not to do with anyone or any circumstance, but you're just sitting in that bus or you're just walking home and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what I've done today. And I don't know whether, I, I can't see having changed the world one bit through what I've done. I can't see how I have made humanity any better, improved the world by one iota, the way I've worked. I, in fact, I can't even remember what the heck I did for those eight hours that I was at work, you know? Have you ever been in one of those situations where it just seems so meaningless, you know? It's full of anyway, as I'd like to put it. And you're going, what is that all for? And you are not going to feel the presence of God at that moment. You know, there are so many scenarios, so many of you work in so many different fields, and, you know, these are just experiences of mine, but I'm sure you have other ways of experiencing the same thing, where you don't feel the presence of God at work. And chances are we don't feel the presence of God during these times. And the point is, feeling the presence of God or experiencing the presence of God at work is hard. It's not easy. It doesn't happen most of the time. In fact, this week, uh, one of my colleagues actually asked me a question about God, and she said, um, you know, how do you feel the presence of God all the time, or, or this, you know, the presence that you've got this higher um, being that is involved in your life? And I actually said to her, in fact, you know, I, I would be troubled if I did feel the presence of God all the time, because God would have become so finite, so limiting, that he will no longer be the big God. So maybe it is part of the reality that we don't feel God's presence all the time. But you know what? Throughout this series, we've been looking at the presence of God. And uh, in a few weeks ago, we looked at bringing the presence of God into community. You know, that day when it was really hot, where the aircon's not working. Um, if you can remember, but um, I, I'm grateful that the aircon's working today so I can take my time. But um, you'll probably won't. But we, we talked about bringing the presence of God 
to the community. We talked about bringing the presence of God or practicing the presence of God in the everyday. Now, there's nothing new about the presence of God at work. For most of us, workplace is a community. Most of us, well, if you're, you're not a Christian, then the workplace might be one of our biggest and most important communities, and we get to be a part of that. And for most of us, whether fortunately or unfortunately, you probably have to go to work every day, probably unfortunately. But we get to practice the presence of God every day. And so there must be something about the workplace that requires us to practice, requires us to work towards the presence of God. And I think that is why, even though it is one of the hardest places to experience God's presence, it actually is one of the most liberating moments when we do experience it. It is one of the most fulfilling. It's profound and it changes us. And it doesn't matter what type of workplace this I'm talking about. It doesn't matter if we work in a big corporate office. It doesn't matter if your workplace is just the home, whether you're caring, you're, you're a you know, stay-at-home mum, whether you're caring for a disabled uh, relative. Uh, you know, we, that is our workplace at which it might be the hardest to experience the presence of God. But when we do, God promises us that it's one of the most liberating things to experience. This morning we are looking um, at Colossians chapter 3. So I invite you to uh, turn to Colossians chapter 3 in your devices or your Bible, but it's also going to be up right behind me on the screen. We're going to read from Colossians 3, verses 23 to 24. Colossians 3, 23 to 24. I'm just going to read it here. Here Paul is talking to the household, or, you know, we see before the passage, he's talking to, you know, husbands, he's talking to wives, he's talking to children, he's talking to parents, and now he turns to talk to the slave. And he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So Paul is talking to slaves here. And I think the one thing we know about slaves is that, by definition, slaves aren't free. Right? They have no choice in the matter. Uh, for, for most of history, they were defined as property of somebody else. You know, they were human, yet they did not have human status. They belonged to other people. They were property. They were subhuman. And most slaves, especially in Roman times, they didn't get to choose what they did either. They didn't have a career choice like we do today. You know, I'm going to go to uni and study this. I'm going to go to TAFE and learn that trade. Most of the time, the master went to the slave market and went to a boy or a girl and goes, I pick you, and because I think you have a talent or, you know, you look like you're talented in this or that, they put you to working in that field, and that was it. You had no choice in the matter. You didn't get to choose where you worked, what you worked on. In fact, you don't even get to own what it is you create. You know, if the, if the slave became a potter, then the pottery they make 
does not belong to them. It belongs to the master, the household. If they were a poet, the rights to their poems, there were slave poets back in Roman times, um, oddly enough, and their poems, the rights to them did not belong to them. It belonged to the household, the master. In fact, you know, throughout the Roman history, there were such talented slaves that even at one point, the imperial Roman family was administered by slaves. But the one thing was they didn't own what they worked on. They didn't own uh, the hands or the fruit of their hands, the fruit of their labor. And a slave might look at the rest of the household and look at the son, look at the, look at the daughter, and you'll feel that at least with the son and the daughter, what they work on, they might not get paid for it, but they have an expectation that they will inherit the father's estate at the end. You know, when the father passes on, the estate gets distributed, and the sons and the daughters all inherit their share. I mean, in Roman uh, days, even women who were treated, you know, poorly throughout history did inherit property, but slaves did not. So you were expected to be loyal to your master, expect to work with all your heart, but you did not receive any wages, you did not own what you created, and you had no expectation of anything in return for the rest of your life, no matter what. Who thinks that's a great job to have? Right? If, if that was the type of workplace you were put into, then you would have no motivation to, to do well. You would have no motivation to make your product better than it needs to be. You would just work on making everything passable. Right? It just needs to be fair. It doesn't need to be good. It doesn't need to have quality. You know, I just want to get biased that I get my meal at the end of the day because that's all I'm worth. Mediocrity would be the key word at the workplace. And certainly, I'm not going to help out a co-worker. I'm certainly not going to work for, for, for somebody else's interest and help their work become any easier because no one's looking after mine. Right? Self-interest and mediocrity will actually prevail. But I think Paul is saying something different about work in Colossians if we read it today. You know, Paul is saying, you know, work is not just about survival. You know, you might feel that way. You might be mediocre. You might, you might only go to work half-heartedly if work was just about the paycheck at the end of the day, if work was just about survival, if work was just a necessity that you had to work. But Paul is actually saying God wants us to have so much more at work. Paul wants us not just to go to work and work for the, the, for the payment, for the bread, for the daily bread. Paul wants us to flourish at work. Paul wants us to work at it with all our heart. And it doesn't, these days it's not very hard to, to sort of go on Bible Gateway and type in, you know, with all your heart and find out all the verses that sort of reference the term with all your heart, which is sort of what I've done here, and that's the summary. I think there is only one relationship in the Bible that we have to work at with all our heart, and that is our relationship with God. You know, in Deuteronomy, you all know you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart. You've got to serve the Lord your God with all your heart. You know, you've got to worship and praise and all these things. I'm not going to go through all of them, but they all relate to God. It is a relationship with God that we need to work at with all our heart. And yet, 
Paul tells us to work, as if working is something we've got to do with all our heart. And I have one explanation for that only, and that is working has something to do with relating to God. Work is relational to God. Work is a way that we participate in the work of God. Work is actually participating in God, with God. And if that's the case, then the work we do, the product, the output, and we, who are the worker, bring the presence of God to work as we work with all our heart. And so for the rest of this morning, I want to explore that just a little bit more, which is that we become the presence of God at work when we bring the whole of God to work. We become the presence of God at work when we bring the whole of God to work. And I look at that in three aspects. And each of them is going to reflect God in some way. And we know God is three in one, so it's going to reflect the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it's also going to reflect a particular Christian virtue, which is faith, hope, and love. Because the way that I see it, when we work in faith, we reflect the Father. When we work in hope, we reflect the Spirit. When we work in love, we reflect the Son, Christ, who died for us. So I'm, in fact, actually even going to do the most Baptist thing. I was predestined to become a Baptist, um, and I call them the three A's of work. Uh, work as art, work as action, and work as agape, or agape love. When I was a law clerk, when I was going through uni, I was a law clerk at a, at a firm, um, and I had two jobs, two jobs only. That's all I had to do. And uh, one of them was draft this particular document called a list of documents. Now, all you have to, it doesn't take a genius to work out how boring that job was, right? So I would go to the office, I would find a matter, I would find this pile of documents, you know, this folder that was that high, I would bring it to my workstation, I'd open it up, and I would find the first document in it, and into the, the, the document I would go, it's the, the name of the document, the person who created it, and the date it was created. Next page, next document. And I would go through thousands of documents, entering that into what's called a list of, of documents. And one day as I was doing that, and I did this for three years, I don't know how I, I lasted that, but I did. Um, and one day at about 4.30, my, my boss comes over and peeps over the window and the door and goes, hey, Kev, how are you going? And, and you just know when your boss comes to you at 4.30 in the afternoon when they say, hey, how are you going? He doesn't mean, hey, how are you going? He means, where is that document I wanted eight hours ago or sometimes, you know, eight or nine days ago? And, and so, you know, I, I ask him in. I go, oh, yeah, I'm working on it. And I show him on the computer screen this list of documents. And it was a really good list of documents, right? It, it was indented. It was justified. You know, it had all the numbering. It was categorized. It was so good, right? I was so proud of it. And he just said, oh, Kev, it must be a work of art. And then he left. And, you know, I, I, it doesn't take a genius to work out that he was being sarcastic, right? He doesn't mean, hey, Kev, it's a work of art like Michelangelo. He means, I don't need it to be a work of art. Get the, get the thing done. Right? I want it now. 
But the one thing that stuck with me was exactly what he said, that it's a work of art. You see, from that moment on, I actually understood work differently. You know, whatever it was that I did, and for me, you know, as a lawyer, we we did a lot of paper pushing. Um, and, And for you, maybe you're working on spreadsheets, it's numbers. You know, maybe you're working with algorithms and data. Maybe you're working with ball bearings. Maybe you're working with nails and bolts. You know, maybe you're working um, just with the same people all day long. And it's repetitive. It's process-driven. You know, it's automated. It's mundane. And you don't see any meaning in it. But somehow we can still work at it artfully. No matter how process-driven, no matter how mundane, we can make it art if we work at it with all our heart, as God and Paul has called us to do. Because I think that's what God the Father did when he created us. You know, God the Father created us, and the universe was his work of art. The earth was his work of art. We are his work of art. And then somehow we messed that up and there was the fall. And instead of just reprogramming Adam and Eve to come back and worshipping God the way he wants to, instead of wiping the slate clean, he then puts in place this process which we call history for thousands of years to which God eventually works with us to bring us back to where he wants us to be. You know, for God, he must see all that, and sometimes he might go, I don't see the point in that. You know, I don't see the point in wasting 3,000 years on these people. But he chooses to do so. He chooses through history, through mundane processes, and, and sort of us not being quite responsive to any of that. He still chooses to work with us, even though it's frustrating. And I think God The Father who is creative asks us to create with him. And that is the artfulness of God as he calls us to work. We might be working on some of the most mundane projects, most of the mundane jobs. You don't see the meaning of it, but God is telling you that when you do so with all your heart, you can treat it as if it's a work of art. And the posture we need if we are to work artfully is the posture of faith. Right? And that is the posture that God had with us. You know, he had faith in us. He had faith enough to, to wait for us, to, to put in place redemption as a process through thousands of years. God has faith that we, will, we are capable of responding to him and we're capable of creating with him. And so next time when we ask or when we're thinking about the question, am I doing work for the kingdom? We get to respond and say, I'm working for the kingdom as a lawyer. We get to respond by saying, I'm working for the kingdom as a doctor. I'm working for the kingdom as an IT engineer. I'm working for the kingdom as a stay-at-home mum. I'm working for the kingdom as a carer. I'm working for the kingdom as a student. I'm working for the kingdom as a call centre operator. I'm working for the kingdom as a fabricator. But don't respond to that question with nothing. But also don't presume that you're doing the best thing for the kingdom possible in you. John Stackhouse Jr. puts it this way, everything, everywhere, every moment, that is the scope of God's call on our lives. That is the dignity our lives enjoy. 
I think if you ever go to the modern art gallery like GoMA or if you go to an even more funky one, the one in Tasmania, you're going to see way, uh, very diverse works of art, you know, different exhibits. I think that's the way God has called us to work. You know, God's given us this very big canvas to which we all get to work on. Some of us are inevitably going to find ourselves working and painting in the centre. Some of us paint on the side. Some of us paint in the fringes, the margins, the corners. Some of us might just be washing paintbrushes. Some of us might be making the colours. Some of us might just be holding the canvas up so that others can paint. But God says every time you work with all your heart and doing it artfully and faithfully, you are breathing, just as God breathes, the presence of God into work. But just having faith, I think, alone is not going to be enough. You know, just having faith alone sometimes is just a bit too one-dimensional. You know, we could, wait, we could work faithfully, faithfully, and then at one moment um, we will treat work as if it is the thing we have faith in itself. We will start to turn work into an idol if all we did was work faithfully. It becomes static. It starts to define us. When I was uh, 22, 23, I finished law um, and uh, I got admitted, which is what they call getting registered for practice in our profession. I got admitted when I was about 23. Um, and, and so what will happen is usually you work as an admitted solicitor for a couple of years and if you know, you're good enough, they'll promote you to associate and then by then you'll start to get some responsibility of your own workload and then you'll get promoted to senior associate. By then you start to become really independent. You sort of don't need that hands-on supervision and eventually hope, you know, maybe you'll make partner, maybe not. But that tends to be the progression in the legal industry industry traditionally. And I found myself when I was 23, um, one day I think I was painting um, at home. We just bought a house. We were just about to get married that year. And, and I got a call from my boss and my boss said, hey, I'm leaving. You know, I'm going to set up my own firm. And in fact, he actually invited me to, to join him. But, you know, I was, you know, I needed a bit of time to think about all that. So I sort of, you know, gave him a bit of a non-committed answer and, and, and left me to it. And then within the week, I got called to the office by the general managers and they said, hey, Kev, and I think this is the dumbest thing they could ever do. It's just like, hey, Kev, your boss is leaving. We'd like to give you his whole practice, which is unthought of. You know, it's unthinkable for a lawyer who had just been six months admitted to the job and I had no idea what I was doing. But because I was young and I was foolish and I was ambitious, I was like, yep, sure, I'll do it. And so for the next three years, I basically just faked it till I could make it, you know, and I think I just kept faking it. But I faked it really well. I faked it artistically, and I faked it faithfully. You know, I, I did so well that I created this entire identity around me, which is that Kevin was the young and upcoming star performer of this firm who needed no supervision. At the young age of 23, he could hold his own in a practice, and that he was on this steady trajectory, you know, probably to partnership. At least that's how it went in my head, right? And one day, um, this is I think three years later, I, I um, get the news that what they've done was they appointed a supervisor um, for my role. And I think, you know, thinking back, I should have been jumping for joy. I should be like, finally, someone sent some help for me, you know? But instead, I took it with offence. You know, it shattered the fact that I saw myself as a star performer. I didn't need supervision. It was 
it, it broke me because that was my identity. I couldn't have any of it. You know, I didn't like it. I, I, within about another two, three months, I, I sulked and I was salty and I left that firm. Thinking back, I've done a bit of a self-diagnosis. And I think the self-diagnosis was that I had built that identity at work. I worked so faithfully that I ended up having faith in my work. Work became an idol. And because work becomes an idol, I could only be fixated on what work was going to give me. I was fixated on the fact that as a star, I had my steady trajectory to the top. I was fixated on the fact that every year having that trajectory, that should mean certain pay rises, certain promotions, certain bring home pay. And anything that sort of interrupted that was going to be met by me with antagonism, with animosity. You see, we, what I did was treat work as a means to an end. And I think we all do that sometimes. We treat work as a means to an end. We treat, you know, we uh, go to work and, and we expect that we would work for one day and we get paid for one day. We work, expect that we get work for one week and we get paid for those, that, that week. It becomes a means to an end. And the end is something that defines what we hope for. You know, whatever you're working towards, your hope is in that. And if my hope, my end for work was that I would go on this trajectory and be promoted like that, that was the hope I had for work. And so what I lacked was a big enough hope that could contain any sort of changes in the workplace. You know, because the end defines your actions in the workplace. You know, how many times have we heard someone say, that's beyond my pay grade? Now, how many times have we heard someone say, that's not in my job description? What they're actually saying is, well, I'm not paid enough to take that extra step. I'm, the, the end doesn't justify my means of taking an extra step to take on a new project to help another co-worker. Right? It doesn't matter whether you get paid a lot or not very much, because sometimes I think, in fact, the more we get paid, the more timid we get with doing the right thing at work. You know, how many of us get paid well at work so that we don't want to speak up when we see something wrong happening at the workplace? We're worried that if we do speak up, something's going to happen. There'll be consequences. They'll victimise us or, or there'll be ramifications. You know, in fact, whatever it is that we hope for, if it was just in the reward of the work alone, just in the take-home pay itself, it's going to cause us to stay inactive. And I think here God and you know, what Paul writes is just so on point. Because Colossians here says, you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. That is so different from the idea of working for a paycheck. You know, I don't know um, if any of you have received an inheritance. It's probably a bit different now. We tend to receive inheritance as money. You know, the, the executor tends to sell whatever property it is and then turn it into money. But in Roman times, what we got was property, right? An inheritance that you got was, was probably the vineyard of your, your father. You've got the farms. You've got something that would actually create more income. It was capital. It was property. So what God is saying is that if you receive property and income, then you are so free because you don't need to go to work and worry about not getting paid. You don't have to go to work and worry about losing the job. You can now choose to work. 
You can now choose to be free at work. You can choose to say no to evil at work. You can choose to help a co-worker and be generous. You can choose to, to speak truth, beauty and goodness into work without worrying that you might lose your job at the end of the day because God's already given you an inheritance so big, so great that you don't need to worry about that finite reward anymore at work. That's the beauty of working for an inheritance. And I think that is what it means when we work in hope. When our hope is big enough, we don't need to worry about the exchange nature of work. You know, we get to go to work with action and take steps, make choices, and to speak God's presence into our workplaces. Uh, we can choose to leave that workplace we can choose to stay at that workplace. We become free to work when we know that we, our hope is in something bigger and better. You see, I think that reflects the nature of the spirit that empowers us. The empowering spirit empowers us to move on, empowers us to make choices. It empowers us to move. It empowers us to relate. It empowers us to bring the presence of God uh, to where we're at. I think working faithfully sometimes fixes us to the workplace. It allows us to create where we're at. But working hopefully allows us to see the bigger horizon, see the perspective of working, and it allows us to move into new frontiers. Right? Working faithfully allows us to create where we're at, but working hopefully allows us to take a step into a new frontier. The two things are in such tension. But that's why we also need something else, because we don't want to fluctuate between fixating ourselves at one workplace and then totally unfixated the next moment and being in the clouds. You know, we will swing between two extremes. And that's why we also need love. Uh, when I, uh, a few years ago, I attended uh, what's called a symposium, a Queensland Law Society symposium. Uh, it, it gives us our CPD points that we need to keep practising for the next year. And one of the keynote speakers uh, was talking about retaining Gen Ys and millennials in the workplace. And he does this at, you know, 9 o'clock because he's speaking to all the hotshot lawyers and partners. And you have to do that at 9 o'clock because they tend to leave at 10 o'clock, go back to the office, say they've done their CPD points and keep whipping their juniors to do more work, right? Um, but, you know, I was there at 9 o'clock and I was at this session and it was talking about how with all of the new ways that law firms tries to motivate and incentivise young lawyers, they just weren't staying around. They were just leaving by the flock. And I was sort of just shifting uncomfortably in my seat because, you know, I'm a bit of a Gen Y, I suppose. And by then, I had left three workplaces in, in one and a half years. And I could even just see through the back of my head some of those partners and ex-bosses, like, staring at me with their sort of, how dare you? You see, I had too much hope by that point. I was overdosing on hope. My hope in work was on steroids, you know. I didn't care what work brought to me. It doesn't matter because I've got the inheritance from God. You know, oh, thanks for the opportunity. If I had that experience, goodbye. Thanks for that opportunity, goodbye. You know, I worked, I worked artistically, but I worked so hopefully that I did not work with any love. It was all about me. 
It was all about my selfishness. I gained what I could from a place. I hurt the people that I said goodbye to, that had trusted me, but I did not care. And I just moved on because I had too much of a hope, too much of a focus only on hope because it didn't matter anymore. You know, God had already worked everything out and it became abstract. You know, hope alone without love, without faith is abstract. You know, it's in the future and we're living too much in the future. But God calls us to come back to the present through love. And I don't think this love is... Well, it's, self, it's not selfish, but I don't think it's selfless. God doesn't call us to die a martyr's death. You know, I think when we actually love somebody else, we are actually loving ourselves in return because we are actually reflecting the love we receive from God as we pour out our love to others. What does that look like? And I think that it looks like this. We get to be generous with our co-workers. We get to be generous with our colleagues. We get to be generous with those clients that, of ours. You know, we get to be generous with an upline. We get to be generous with a downline. You know, we get to speak meaningfully when we give feedback, not just meaningless corporate speak. We get to artistically create the way we love, and we get to hopefully create the way we love in the way that we share with other people. We get to give them hope in the workplace as well. We love Christ by serving our neighbours. We love Christ um, by serving our clients, our colleagues, our supervisors, our boss, our downline and our upline. These people, I think, are for us the face of God at work. You know, there is that verse in Matthew where Jesus talks about, you know, when I was thirsty and you gave me to drink, when I was hungry, you gave me to eat, when I was in prison, you know, you visited me, and when I was naked, you clothed me. And people ask, well, when, when do we do that? And Jesus says, well, when, whenever you did it to one of the least of these, you did it unto me. And I think Jesus, that is the redemptive love of God, of the Son, of Christ, and we get to take that redemptive work of loving, of agape love into our workplaces. And when we do that, we become the presence of God at work. I'm just going to ask the, uh, the worship team to come up um, as we reflect. We've been singing a song at church quite often, and, uh, and its verses talk about God the waymaker. You know, it talks about God, the miracle worker. It talks about God, the promise keeper and the light in the darkness. It also talks about God who works when we don't feel that he's working. You know, it's the God who works when he doesn't really need to be working. But God is always working. God chooses to work. God chooses to love. God chooses to have faith. God chooses to hope, give us hope. And I think that's some of us here today. Some of us may feel that work is meaningless. We might feel that work is mundane. We might feel like whatever we're doing doesn't matter for the kingdom of God. But God says, hey, even when I don't feel, even when you don't feel that I'm working, even when I don't feel it, I'm still working. Some of us may feel that, you know, work 
is hopeless. You know, you might be stuck in a really toxic environment or you might be just eager to pursue the next opportunity. You might have so many choices, limitless possibilities in front of you and you are stuck not knowing what your next choice might be. You know, it might be that you want to do something else. It might be that you think a change is necessary, but you're afraid. You're afraid to change because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know if you'll make the right choice. God says, have hope. It'll be okay. And maybe it's about love. You know, maybe we feel like there are colleagues at work that are just making life hell for us. Maybe it is us. We feel like we don't want to get involved in that community. Maybe it's someone who just really irritates us. Maybe it's someone who has done wrong to us and we can't move on and forgive. But God is telling us today that we, when we bring the presence of God to work, we get to love. We can love. God has given us the power to love. Bring the presence of God to work requires us to flourish, to truly see work as a place we can flourish. And we do that as we bring the whole of God to work, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not just one, not just two, but all three parts of the Trinity. We bring not just faith, we bring not just hope, we bring not just love, but all three of those things in connection, in relationship as we come to work each and every day. Are we putting too much faith in our work? Is work becoming an idol for you? How about we stand this morning? You know, I I believe that God is speaking to us all today, redeeming work for us. And I, I believe that God is calling us for a response in our workplace. You know, are we putting too much work Uh, too much faith in our work is that maybe that's you you know you've been working faithfully you you enjoy what you do you 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 see the meaning in what you do but so much so that you've now created an idol out of that work remember God is the creator and not us or maybe you have too little faith in your work it's just so boring it's so mundane it's so repetitive you know you can't see the big picture God calls us to co-create with Him. Or maybe you have too much hope like I do. I I did at one point. You know, you're up in the fairies. You're thinking all these possibilities. You're leaving one place to another. You're taking on a project after project. You're not caring. You know, all the possibilities, but you don't have reality. There's no fixing, no grounding in the way you work. Everything is just about possibility, not the moment. And God is saying channel the power channel it and put it into something solid or maybe you don't have enough hope you know you find work unrewarding you're finding work vexatious you're finding the effort is not turning to just reward you're finding yourself maybe cheated you're finding yourself taken advantage of you know God empowers us through the Holy Spirit to see the bigger picture that there is an inheritance or maybe it's about love You know, maybe you're dying a martyr's complex at work. Maybe everything is about giving. Maybe you're one of those type two givers that you're giving all the time, but you're not getting anything in return. It's time that God says to you that he appreciates you and he comforts you. He appreciates the work you do. Or maybe we have too little love. You know, we're we're too poppy at work. We're toxic at work. 
We just don't want to have anything to do with anyone anymore. Maybe it's a bit of bullying from other people that turned us that way. Maybe it's just apathy at work. God is telling us to take a step in love because He took a step in love to redeem us on the cross. And He wants us to do so because we get to experience the presence of God. It is the presence of God that will help us to flourish, help us to bring the presence of God to work. That is how we flourish at work. God doesn't just want us to get by. He wants us to flourish. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.